This week we discuss the broken dichotomy which is politics, looking into false characterizations, the role of social media and the political arena, the infamous political compass quiz as well as touching on today's political landscape and how the United States is responsible for its damaging divide. We are joined by fellow co-founders of MUN Line, Samuel Riley, Sophia, myself, Matthew, as well as special guest Nelson from the United States. Visit thisweekpodcast.org to become a member of This Week for free today. You get access to podcasts before they go live, insights on our guests, and exclusive member-only content. Visit thisweekpodcast.org to become a member today. I am a co-founder and podcast producer here at Munline and my interests are in human rights and journalism in an international setting. Hi, I'm Samuel. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Munline. I am from Melbourne, Australia. I am interested in banking regulation. My name is Nelson. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee in the United States, and I'm interested in finding good solutions to complex issues. What stereotypes come to mind first for you guys when you think of these two different political parties? I might start with the left side just because I think that if I'm going to characterize a side, then it's probably going to be more likely to be the left side. In my mind, I think that there are two forms of left-wing politics. So there's the first form that I call an old-school left-wing. And that's, quite frankly, it's a left-wing that I actually do have a fair amount of respect for. And the reason why I respect it a lot is because they practice what they preach. So they're the kinds of people that will, you know, they do care, you know, about community-esque values that do verge on socialism. There's no denying that. You know, they are the ones that do focus on, you know, becoming a bit more of a, very focused on the union movement, etc. But, you know, they're, they're also the kinds of people that, you know, they're going to work at the homeless shelters. They're going to work in the soup kitchens. They're going to give back to their communities. So I think that that's kind of one stereotype of what I would call old school left. And that old school left also is quite socially concerned. Then there's the other stereotype of the left that I'm calling the new left. And this is the left that I really detest. And this is why I, and the left that I can't stand. And this is the left that they go to a protest. They put their, you know, their face on their TikToks and their Instagrams and their Twitters and their Facebooks. But they actually don't do anything. They just want to get into a political majority and they just want to be in charge. They're also incredibly authoritarian to the point of rootthink, in my mind, that if you don't agree with their viewpoint, they're going to ostracize you. And I've personally experienced that. On the right side, I think that we also do see that there is, I think, a mischaracterization that A, we're all old, which is clearly false. B, that we're all regressive people, that we must hate minorities, that we must hate people who, we must hate women, for example, which is also just apparently false. And that we also must be members of the church, which is also not exactly true. I think that that's in terms of the characterization, that's probably the characterizations that we see. Look, I would just say it's hard to be like an old school left person when you have to work two jobs and do uni at the same time just to get by. But I do agree that there's two different types. There is a type that, like, if you want to defense the left, I'm the wrong person to ask because I have copped it a lot from like people that I considered my friends, people that were on the, the like what they always call the correct side. Like, I've had to come forward about certain terrible things that have happened in my life, I've had to talk about them, and I have been ostracized because of these sort of things. And and 
it's not until you experience that sort of thing where they say like you know you should you will believe every woman or believe every person that comes forward and then you do and they just shut you out because it's easier to say things sometimes and it's very hard to actually stand behind them they think it's for the best but we don't really know how to do it and I don't think there's a real like way that you can be in the middle but also believe in certain things like everyone believes that they have to be like this sort of thing or this sort of thing like if the political compass says that I'm like a very left-leaning libertarian I don't really feel that left I've been called a socialist and I've been called a neoliberal capitalist in the same in the same breath by two different people in the same day it's just like the idea of the left and the right is so even in the political compass is just so broken I think definitely the political compass is not a way that we should be measuring sort of our political beliefs. I think back to Samuel's characterization of the left and the right, I would generally agree with it. I would also say when we talk about the topic of climate change and environmentalism, the narrative is very much that you know, everyone on the left is are, are the only advocates for climate change than everyone on the right, because we're all boomers essentially, um, then you know, we, we love the oil companies and we just want to screw the environment essentially. And that's a thing I'd also add to that the characterization of people on the right. I think right when you talk back about the centre and the biggest the political party in Ireland and the and the youth wing of the party, which I am a part of Young Fine Gael, uh, is the party, well, it calls itself the party of the progressive uh, centre. However, it is really the progressive right. I think we're seeing like a bigger rise in, in neoliberalism, um, especially in places sort of Europe where combining free market um, capitalism fits a lot more libertarian social values. And I think that's definitely a area that we are seeing a huge rise of no i think that works in some some countries and not so much in others again people will say that they're the center like in australia they say like the labor party is meant to be the left but it's also considered the center but the labor party in itself is split into two it's split into labor left and labor right and labor right claim to be right but they're a little bit more center right and then labor left is very left and they don't i think we really don't understand the words we're using anymore like left and right means so different to so many different people because of the way that we're raised like I don't I don't think there's a real way to talk about it in an effective way on a collective sense which is why I tend to hate the word like hate when people use the word like lefty snowflake and those kind of ones and I find that it undermines their argument because it means so such different stuff to different people so I actually disagree with you on that, Riley, on the left side. I think it's an issue to some extent on the left side. So I think that the issue actually stems more from, well, what is right-wing politics? And that if you even globally, there is no set definition on what is right-wing politics. So right-wing in Australia is is different to right-wing in the United States. There's no doubt about it. The, right, the conservatism that we see in the United States, it gets close to Christian fundamentalism in some respects. I don't think it does, and I don't think it gets close to it, but... It can be characterised as that. The right, what we see as right-wing politics in the UK, though, it's a lot more socially progressive, shall we say. Let's just be frank about that. And I think right-wing in Australia is somewhere in between, probably closer to the UK than it is in the US. So there's no set definition on what conservatism is in Australia compared to everywhere else. Where I disagree with you on the left is that there is some agreement that they go towards the teachings of Karl Marx as the kind of basis for what they define as left-wing. Now, obviously, there is a wide 
wide spectrum between the capitalism that we see today and Karl Marx's vision for a world and that the left generally operate on that spectrum a bit more. But there is a lot more coherence based upon that. I think where the left does get a bit muddled up can be on social issues. And something that I think really I want to touch on what you said earlier, Riley, is this idea about the fact that the left think that they are correct. And I think that that's really dangerous in terms of political discourse and saying our way is the only way. It is the correct way. Firstly, Riley, to for the exact reasons that you mentioned when dealing with your uh, allegation is a perfect example of that. But also to then say that if you don't agree with our way, then you are bigoted, then you are wrong and you are a Nazi. To come out with those really charged statements, it demeans people. It makes them feel that they're not human, which inherently means that you're not going to engage in that debate. And I think that that is extremely problematic. I mean, look, you can claim the left-wing snowflake is a similar thing. And I'm sure, Riley, you'll have your views on that. You've already said your views on that. But to be told that, you know, you've got five minutes. One, you mentioned that you are a member of a conservative party. To then go out and say, you've got five minutes to prove why you are not a terrible person, I think is the epitome of the issue that we're facing and of why bipartisanship is dead, why we can't get any sort of agreement on political discourse and why there is debate about the characters of the left, the right is a relevant topic to discuss on the podcast. I'd like to begin by saying that I do agree that woke liberalism is a large issue right now. Um, And I think that one of the things that has been confusing us uh, when we talk about different political ideologies is the definition of liberal and uh, conservative. Um, And the reason why there's confusion on that, I think, is because a lot of people think that we're talking about American politics, which greatly differ from European politics. What's considered radical in America is actually quite moderate in Europe, for example. One of the things I'd like to touch upon, though, is that living in the American South, I do see a lot of conservatives who do fit the traditional model or the stereotype of what a conservative looks like. You know, they go to church every Sunday, maybe on Wednesdays too. Um, they're anti-LGBTQ, so on and so forth. And I think that that's also an issue in addition to the woke liberal idea that we have going on here. On both sides, if you go too far, then it is going to become an issue. And you are going to have people who don't allow others to speak about their own opinions without saying that they're politically incorrect or morally wrong, which is even worse. But I'd like to bring up a point because we talked about the political uh, compass test earlier. And it's that there's this idea that rather than being a spectrum on a X and Y axis, right? Politics can be shown on a horseshoe model with the center in the middle and um, the left and right on either side, because as you get further on either side, both sides start to sound the same, just with different rhetoric. What are your thoughts on this? Um, well, firstly, it's a way I'd like to address what you said about sort of American politics. You mentioned that what's considered extreme in America is considered moderate in Europe. Um, I think going back to what Samuel mentioned, especially about the British politics, the Conservative Party, you know, we've seen you know, in recent years how they are becoming a lot more socially liberal and they are, ne- they are a neoliberal uh, party rather than a Conservative Party, but more harshly economically and socially. Though, I think going back to what you mentioned about American politics, uh, that plays such a big part on how generally people view the left and the right. And this all comes back to Hollywood and the establishment. We talk about the establishment, we talk about the popular view, we talk about what is accepted and what is not accepted. And this all 
comes from Hollywood, in my opinion. We've seen how Hollywood always loves to politicize everything. I mean, I, I just to bring in another example, I guess, is Ricky Gervais. I don't know if anyone has seen Ricky Gervais's Golden Globes monologue, for example. However, in that, he rages about how everything in Hollywood is being politicized as either left or right. And when you apply that to the likes of Europe, to the likes of uh, to Australia, I assume as well, it's, it's actually quite confusing and it's mixed up with what it actually is supposed to mean because American politics cannot be applied to, to other cultures and other societies around the world. So I, I think that is quite dangerous and there has to be a distinction about sort of the view of American politics and British politics, European politics and what left and right represents there. As well, I think there is a lot of confusion on that and I think it's for the detriment of the right especially because we're exposed to someone sort of Donald Trump who... As I would, I would agree with Samuel, he'd be more of a religious fundamentalist in the likes of Ireland. So I think that is extremely important to make. All right. Well, like, I guess moving back to Sophia's point, I think that the way we're kind of like framing this discussion is somewhat, I guess, wrong in nature, because like what she was talking about with the horseshoe makes a lot of sense, because I think people on the radical right and the radical left are a lot closer to each other than they would imagine, partially because they both want one fundamental thing, which is change. In I live in the same community as Sophia, and I see a lot of people on the radical right say a lot of things about people on the radical left, like they're socialists, but they do, but like both sides agree on the fact that they want change. But in our community, I would say that like people are like ostracized because of their beliefs on both sides. But I ultimately think that this point, hey, isn't all that coherent. But I would say that like most people don't experience politics through the lens of the political compass. And I think it's a bad way of talking about it as such. Most people aren't thinking about whether they're on the left or the right. They're thinking about leaders in their particular communities that they agree with or disagree agree with, right? So when like somebody in my community is on the right, they identify with Trump, or if they're on the moderate left, they identify with Biden. People are identifying with, or I'm American for context, obviously, but I think that people don't identify with their side of the compass necessarily. They identify with leaders in their particular communities. So when you, like, when we're talking about the, like, the greater state of things. I think that a lot of it is driven by your community and what leaders you're listening. And that can't be explained on a two axis scale. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's why it's very difficult to have this discussion on a group. I want to touch on Nelson, what you were talking about in terms of the horseshoe. I think that where, I think the point that you missed was that yes, they both want the same thing, they want change. The other big thing that I think you missed is that they both want to do it. They want to use violence or they want to get to a point whereby their view is the only accepted view. And I think that that is a really dangerous view. And I think that the, look, I'm going to be talking about characterization and whatnot. I do genuinely believe that the left are more forceful on that. I think that the left, particularly with the rise of cancel culture, you know, I read stories constantly about the fact that, you know, people are no longer able to get jobs from the right. But, you know, it does happen on the left as well because that they make a certain point that, you know, is even, you know, sometimes grounded in research, but because it's at a point that a certain clique of people don't like, they refuse to engage with, like they refuse to be hired. They, they can't be hired in a number of different situations. I think that that's, that force throating, that authoritarianism is, I think, where that left and right spectrum is where, is why it's really problematic. And I think that that's probably where, yeah, the horseshoe probably helps a bit. Then Samuel, I'd actually like to pose you the question, do you think that it's better to be a moderate and 
almost wishy-washy on several issues and want to maintain the status quo? Or is it better to be extremist on either side? I'm going to be honest and say neither. Being moderate or being just on one side or another is very wishy-washy. And I mean, it's not politically viable. I mean, look at the Liberal Democrats in the United Kingdom. Now, I think where you want to be on that spectrum is probably like you can't be at the end of the horseshoe and you probably can't even be beyond the parabolica of the horseshoe or beyond the peak of the horseshoe, assuming that the horseshoe is like a curve, then there's probably, I think that's probably a bit too far in my mind as to where I'm comfortable with it, but you're starting to get into fringe territory. But you probably want to be getting closer to that side in my mind than the centre of the horseshoe. I think another thing that you guys like forget is most, so everyone here has some interest in politics. I'd probably say I'm the least likely to, but most, most people don't look at like how they feel about like their values and their beliefs and they don't go, yeah, I seem pretty left by that. Like most people just, or they believe a certain way based on how they've been educated, how they've been raised, how they've been like assimilated into societies. And that depends based on your society as well. But they don't think of themselves as like, I'm this left person. It's just, I believe these certain things and that apparently makes me a certain way. And I think like when we talk about the left and the right, we talk about it in a very intentional kind of way where it's less so, I think, for a vast majority of people. Uh, Yeah, I entirely agree with that. And uh, making a similar point, like Samuel mentioned, like he said, like people are unable to find jobs because they're like canceled. What percent of the population is this happening to every year, I guess? Like, that's the big question. Like, ultimately, most people are not discussing politics on the Internet. It is a very small subsect of people. In America, at least, I know that a third of the population is entirely apolitical. They didn't vote in the most contentious election of my lifetime and probably the last 20 or 30 years in 2016. So when like we're talking about politics, we're kind of leaving out a third of the population who doesn't really care. And even of like the sect that we're talking about, that like ultimate like Twitter war is only going on between about 10% of the population. So when we talk about politics, I think we leave out a lot of the politically disengaged people because we are in these communities that talk about politics like it's like it's sports, I guess. Like like we're talking about it every week. We're talking about these breaking developments. But most of the time, most people just show up to the polls and are like, my mom told me to vote for Donald Trump. That's who I'm going to vote for. Or my Uh, My dad voted for Joe Biden last time. Let's vote for him. Like, I think that like when we talk about politics, we get caught up in these like terms like the left and the right when most people really just identify with their community leaders. I think that, yes, it is fair to say, Nelson, that politics is in some respects to be able to engage in this debate is the height of privilege. And I think that that also is then part of the issue, particularly when we're talking about, you know, discussions like Black Lives Matter, etc., is that the discussion doesn't actually focus on what's going to help those communities the best. It focuses on how am I going to get the most political capital out of it? So therefore, the characterization of, well, this is just someone who can show up and just, you know, take a photo of, you know, throwing down a statue or whatever, is not unreasonable to suggest that that exists. But does this actually then help those communities that the people are aiming to serve? No, it doesn't. It just aims to bring one group of power, one group of people into power who previously weren't into power. So a group of typically authoritarian, typically white, typically privileged people 
into a power against another group of people who, you know, aren't, at, in my mind, are nowhere near as authoritarian in their worldview. The other problem, though, is that I think as well, we should also be defending the right, even if it's only a small percentage of the people, Nelson, that are getting cancelled, so to speak. We should be defending the right to engage in political discourse and engage in political debate. Obviously, look, if you're going to threaten to kill someone, that's a very separate debate. But if you're engaging in presenting your worldview, you should be able to freely do that. And if you can't do that, then that is extremely problematic. I don't know how long with like your 24 hour news cycle and everything like that, because like I'm just thinking about Amy Cooper, who was that lady who called the cops at um, Central Park on a black man a couple months. It was a couple months ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, even. Like, she lost her job, she had to give up her dog and all that. Well, to be fair, like, that was a gross amount of animal abuse as well as, like, being blatantly racist and calling in a, like, filing a police report. The the bloke the whole time was just like, no, I don't want, like, you guys to cancel her over this, yada, yada. But, I mean, she got her job back. Oh, she got her dog back as well. And no one even knows about her in three weeks. So, like, I don't. Cancel culture affects it kind of as long-term as we think it does now. And I think that's something we maybe have to think about as well. I was never defending or, or agreeing with the nature of like cancel culture. I was just saying that like most people aren't experiencing politics through this narrow lens. Most people are just going in to vote on that day down a party ticket, right? I like most people aren't partaking in cancel culture, I guess. It's a very small subset of people. And I agree that like we probably like shouldn't necessarily be, you know, ostracizing like people's beliefs in the way that we are right now. But also like you have to understand that it's a small percentage of the population that is ultimately partaking in this debate. But where I do agree is that like we should be like involved. But what I think is good about that debate going on, I think it involves more people in the political sphere and allows more interests to be represented, which, you know, allows for better policymaking and better representation of everyone. That's been the great, our generation, or Generation Z, my generation, I'm, I can't speak for everyone at this call, obviously, but I would say our generation's political activity has definitely will become a good thing because uh, politics will become a more representative space. And with the expansion of the internet and things like that, we're seeing an increased political participation. And with that, we're going to see better policymaking in the future and more representative for everyone, I guess. I'd actually disagree with you there on, on that. I think the use of the media as a tool is actually quite dangerous. I mean, when you talk about representation, it's really just representation of, of the left, in, in my opinion. I think when you talk about young people uh, getting more politically active, I think you'll mostly find that the, those who are participating at a young age are on the left. And I think you, what you touched upon at the start was that few people are actually participating in this in this in the in, in council culture. However, the problem is is that those few their, their beliefs are grown uh, drastically on the likes of Twitter, and it becomes part of the popular opinion. And when that when that happens, and then we we see very quickly that then actually becomes a very significant thing. But maybe isn't uh, the belief of many, however, it does become that. I think we've seen that, especially in the likes of statues in the United States, I think through the use of the internet. And I think when you say that this is, the internet is such a good thing for representation, I think that is proof that it just isn't. 
Well, Matthew, I think that I can explain why the internet is seems to be so biased towards the left. And it's because when you look at who's the most radical, you tend to see that second generation immigrants who are living in a country that their parents did not come from, right? Um, these people are more likely to be radical. These young people are more likely to be using technology. And these stories are more likely to be picked up by media sensationalism. I don't think that it's just because more leftists use the internet. I think that's just how it is because these are sensational stories that are going to get press coverage and they're going to get clicks. I don't think that it's inherently bad that the left is being represented on the internet. I think that having a variety of political opinions on the internet is a good thing. And one of the reasons why, you know, we see so many radicals on both the left and the right is because no one ever sat them down ask them, why do you think this way? And had a productive discussion with them. No one ever said, well, I think that you're wrong because X, Y, and Z. A lot of people just go straight to name calling and, you know, saying, oh, you're bigoted or, oh, um, you're not woke enough. And I think that that is an issue, but having more discourse on the internet on both sides is a good thing. Well, firstly, Sophia, this entire conversation is exclusive in some, some respect to the United States. I myself don't really experience any of the, the cancel culture, especially by young people in Ireland. Um, I attribute that to Irish common sense um, really when we talk about this i think it's, it's really exclusive to americans i think that those speaks fall into american culture and um, but i think moving on you mentioned increased discourse on twitter i would generally disagree with that and i think this our, 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 it goes back to our characterization where you mentioned to the woke snow liberal snowflakes and on the right and um, sort of the climate denier old boomer generation i think and what the point i was making is that those characterizations are being promoted on the likes of twitter on the likes of various media platforms in which those uh, characterizations thrive on. I think it, rather than a political discourse happening on Twitter, which is increasing, maybe it should be happening more in open discussions such as what we're having in this week's uh, podcast by MUN Man. So first of all, um, I agree with you. In fact, I never said that we should be having political discourse on Twitter, but I do think that we should be having political discourse on open forums where people can openly express their opinions without being judged. And with... Could you give an example other than Twitter? You said in, on the media it should be having discourse. It's interesting to see like what other alternatives do you have Twitter in which people can have an open discourse online? Well, obviously, this podcast. Um, I think that there's a lot of ways for people to get connected. They just have to find them. Uh, for example, I joined an organization called Asian Youth for Civic Engagement. And while it does tend to lean left, there are a lot of conservatives within that organization who want to be engaged in politics and who I have had amazing discussions with. I think that as long as you look beyond Twitter, there's a variety of places that you can find political discussion. For example, the community that Nelson and I live in, Tennessee, let's go, um, has a lot of different political opinions, particularly in the speech and debate um, community, where you have a lot of conservatives on and liberals participating in public forum debate, and they all do have amazing discussions with each other. And these discussions are very productive. I think it's a it's an important point to make because I think a lot of the time, especially on social media, you'll see like the right like foaming at the mouth to try and get a person to listen to them to talk, like their rationale and how they approach everything. But when you try and talk to like if you're confused about a 
topic, say Black Lives Matter or Indigenous issues or anything like that, you'll try and talk to like someone who's a prominent leftist about it and they'll be like, Google it. I was like, okay, when I Google it, all it comes up is like Reddit, which is predominantly right. Like you, I know it takes a lot of like emotional energy to talk to some stranger and educate them, which is why we generally try and do it like one-on-one. I guess this podcast is a good kind of way to show it, but you can't do that sort of thing on social media. You can't just say, find the information yourself. If you're going to make like an argument about something, you've got to back it up as well. I think also that comes back to the way that social media works is that shit rises to the top in that the ones, the the comments that are the most inflammatory, the ones that are going to just appease to a base are the ones that are going to get the most likes. They're going to get the most upvotes. They're going to get the most heart reacts. They're going to get the most GIF reactions, etc. So in that sense, social media is designed so that shit rises to the top and that there is a lot less space for nuance. And nuance is difficult even in a text situation. And I'm sure everyone on this podcast can appreciate that. I, I think that that's probably the why people are less pleased with where discourse is going is because there's no room for nuance because it's so hard to find it. Uh, and it, it's really hard also to do in 140 or 280 characters as well. And I think that that's why I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. But also, and but something I want to ask is, and I think this is probably more to Riley as well. Riley, I, I want to know, do you think it's possible to engage with the right when they believe that you personally are not someone that should be considered a person based upon their gender on the gender that you identify with? And I think then the question I want to ask as well is how can I engage with the left when I am told that I, that I have to prove that I am not a terrible person by being on the right? I mean, you and I are friends, aren't we? To your point. We are. But I think with, with Mark, with the question you've asked me, it's, probably a lot more patience than I think a lot of people deserve but especially in regards to like gender and that sort of thing and I mean I I will not fault anyone who doesn't want to like take this type of emotional labor but a lot of the time things around gender and especially like outside of the male female binary a lot of people are just very ignorant about it and they think that everyone who is non-binary or something like like or trans are just based off these stereotypes as well and it's not always the case i try and let people know a little bit more about me before i essentially come out in that sort of way a little bit for my own protection but also because it's a different like people once they know me they can't go they can't apply that stereotype to me the same the same i guess with you like you're very very open about your political ideology and i think it's maybe just not writing people off straight away and i'm not saying you do this specifically i'm talking about pretty much everyone in general they if they hear that it's a different kind of political ideology it's just being calm and being patient and then like sometimes it is having a very aggressive argument with another person but it's also understanding that we are still people at the end of the day like the people our leaders are going to make everyone fight with each other and then they're gonna like just leave they're gonna fly off in their jets and go to hawaii in the middle of a bushfire season and we're gonna be left here with the consequences and it's like you've just got to learn to work with the other people in your community they're not the exact we're not the exact same no one ever is and it's just about working together and sometimes that's a little bit more effort than what people are willing to do uh, i think going back to 
what somebody mentioned there. I think another thing about Twitter and what rises to the top are our feelings. Um, how people feel about topics is increasing over based on a logic and reason. I think we can uh, attribute this a lot to left-wing politics um, because feelings and what people feel generally flows and flourishes on social media. And I think, as you mentioned, just adding on to what you mentioned, that the left especially affixes a lot of their beliefs to how they feel on topics rather than you know, more um, uh, constructive ways which we can solve things and I think that goes again back to what you're saying about uh, the likes of, of uh, Twitter that they have a, a word cap on how much you can include on the tweet so therefore feelings because you can express in such a shorter form they uh, get perpetuated and yeah, they spread and share a, a lot faster than likes maybe more right-wing views which maybe you might need a bit more explanation to sort of get the argument around and I think it just goes down to maybe an inherent flaw in social media outlets such as so, social media such as Twitter and I think that might be a causation of a lot of sort of the, the establishment that we kind of we generalize as kind of left-wing politics they kind of huddle together as the popular opinion and as a result they can cancel out individuals that don't affix to their sort of set goals and morals that they attribute to their correct moral vision yeah but just to kind of add on to what everyone's saying i think that social media loses a lot of the nuance in our society which is a very good thing i come from a more conservative community like sophia was mentioning earlier and as a person who tends to agree with the democratic party in the u.s I would say that like having so many friends who lean towards the right really shapes my, I don't go on Twitter and call people racists or whatever. <laughs> Frankly, I don't even have a Twitter account, but you know, I think that like meeting people with differing views and backgrounds to you is really important to build empathy towards those communities. And obviously like post pandemic, I don't know if it's all going on in your respective countries. It certainly is in mine, but I think it's just so important to carry a diverse friend group and uh, with people of all backgrounds and beliefs, because that is certainly shaped like the way I think as a person. And if you haven't met someone of a particular group, whether that be belief, religious or sexual orientation or gender identity or race, then it's a lot easier to stereotype and generalize that person when you don't have a friend in that group. So I think it's just so important to have diverse friend groups. And unfortunately, social media pushes us away from having those. But I think just meeting people in person it, when you can do that and there is no pandemic is just a really great way of getting a better education in that room. I think you're overstepping a bit when you say that the United States is post-pandemic. I'd say that is quite oh, far no, from no, the no, truth. No, 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 no. I did not say that. I said the pandemic is certainly going on in my country. I'm saying post-pandemic. In Ireland, it's post-pandemic. Uh, in post-pandemic, you need to meet new people and meet people of various backgrounds. The pandemic is not over in the US. And if I was saying that, I would be absolutely lying. Well, I mean, you kind of meant like, even even when cases go down, you can't even say that. Like Australia was saying a couple of weeks ago that we were essentially like good and done with it. And now like Victoria's back in lockdown. New South Wales is looking a bit sketchy as well. So like I think with I think the pandemic in general has highlighted how we need to have these conversations. We need to figure out how to do them online because there are a chance that we aren't going to be able to. We are going to rely so much more on online than we are in person. Like even with online as 
well. You meet a lot of people who aren't in the same sort of community as you. So they you learn different perspectives of that as well. Like I know people, one of my closest friends lives in the Philippines. I never would have known about what's happening over there if it wasn't for that. And I wouldn't know about like how people in the Philippines generally feel about certain issues without that connection. So we do need to have an online element. We just got to figure out how to get it to work. Yeah, it's kind of the same in Ireland. I mean, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Tarnish, uh, Leo Varadkar said, unfortunately, uh, Irish people can't have their freedom points for a bit of for a while. I think that speaks volumes to Irish people as well. And the fact that the Deputy Prime Minister said that they can't have freedom points as part of his political speech. I mean, who doesn't want a good freedom point? Man, I miss a good freedom point. A good freedom point and palmy, honest to God. Thank you to Samuel, Riley, Sophia and Nelson for being part of this week's podcast. Stay up to date and informed on this week by following us on Instagram at thisweek.news and on Twitter at thisweek2020. If you disagree with something a guest said or want to give us some feedback, email us at feedback at thisweekpodcast.org. If you want to be a guest on this week, apply it through thisweekpodcast.org. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Goodbye.